0: Some of you were like those aren't such bad ideas. <laughs> so you were thinking thinking about some other things you might want. I remember the first time I went to church as a teenager, uh one of my best friends to this day invited me to go to a youth group service that they had at their church. Um he was a Christian, a great follower of God. He actually sang on their uh youth worship team and uh, he is still today one of my best friends. It's one of those relationships where it doesn't matter how much time goes by. Um as soon as we reconnect and hang out again, it's like nothing, no time has passed. We're right back to where we were. Um and so uh, he invited me to church one day. Uh, and it was it was what I expected. It was a little bit different. Uh, you have to understand, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I had no idea who Jesus was. I didn't even care who Jesus was. But I knew that there would be one thing available to me, and that was a whole new population of females that I didn't have access to at school that were now going to be at church. And I was all about that as a young teenage guy um, with some craziness going on in my body. So I wanted to just meet all these new girls. Um, and I, I wanted I wanted this rich environment so I could pray on, not pray for, there's a big difference to prey on um, some of these uh, girls that I might be able to meet. Um so there I was, I was working my magic up in youth group, doing my thing. Unfortunately, my magic looked more like Sideshow Bob from the Simpsons than uh David Blaine. But um so I wasn't very successful in my pursuit. Uh, but in the end, I'm really thankful um that God used that place, God used uh that church um where I was trying to achieve the attention of girls, he was going to use that to achieve my affections for Jesus. And so uh that that church, that relationship, that friendship um uh, re- I can see God using those things to um, in part, the knowledge of God in my life, and today I come to church for um, much different reasons. Uh, thank Jesus. Uh, but if I were open with you, I would admit that I still have unspoken hopes, uh, I still have at times unreasonable expectations, and at times I'm shamefully aware uh, that I have selfish desires that um, there's things that I foolishly want because I believe that they match my personality best, that it's the way I'm going to grow the best, that it's the way that I see church doing the best, and uh, that's just what I come expecting to gain and to get um, from any church that I may attend. And after a while... Becoming a Christian and going to different churches, um, sometimes we can become pretty cynical. sometimes as Christians, we can have the way we believe church should be, and we could enter an environment that could be rich in the gospel, but could be rich in who God is, could be uh, fantastically preaching, and something about it could just could just shake us up a little bit, and um, we could actually walk away with a disheartened feeling when really God was in the midst and so um, if we were honest here. Um, which you're gonna have to be today, or else it's gonna be a, a pretty long morning for some of you. Uh, but you would, you would admit that you have some, you walked in today with some sort of expectations. Every single one of you walked in today with some sort of expectation. Uh, there's a music style you desire. Uh, some of you like it loud and rocking. Some of you like it soft and reflective. Some of you don't really care what it is as long as the songs are about Jesus. Some of you are really hoping that my message is short so you can get out of here. Some of, you are, some of you are really hoping that my message is really hard, um, is really in your face, is really bold, because you're looking forward to revealing uh, some hidden idols in your life so you can repent because you're just all about just finding that next step that you need to take. And some of you have come broken. Some of you have come spiritually fatigued. And some of you just need to be, to be realigned with the hope and, and, and the love and the mercy of who Jesus is. And I would say that there's probably a balance between those. Um, in, every, in any great uh, Sunday morning, I think we should hopefully be able to serve both of those uh, mentalities as you walk in. The bold and the ready to proclaim and declare and, and repent and those that are just broken and, and, and uh, weary and worn out. Uh, so, but I'm willing to bet that that both of those extremes exist in here too, that both of those things exist in this room right now. Uh, and it's like I said, some of you, you're just hoping this thing ends early because you're ready to get out of here. But, um... I'm hoping that God can really shape our hearts as we look at this. Um, I like to be clear about who I'm targeting when I speak. Every time I speak, I like to be very uh, clear on who it is I'm speaking to. Um, And each week, I basically have one arrow in my quiver, and I'm just ready to to, to have at it. And so if you're a follower of Christ, you're my audience. Many times I speak to those of you that maybe don't know Jesus, and uh, many times when I speak, that is usually my target audience. I have a very evangelistic heart where I love to help people who don't know God, who are far from God, get to know him, and have an opportunity to come near to him. And so, but today, my audience, you are the follower of Christ. Uh, consider yourself targeted, especially if you're a member or a regular attender here at Living Word. So if that's you, my greatest joy will be found in our hearts, me and you. We're going we're gonna to have a little heart-to-heart, me and you, me and, me and you, Living Word. Um, and my heart would really rejoice when we become united in the mission that to effectively reach the lost through this environment you're sitting in right now. That this environment would be a place rich in the gospel, rich with people who are on fire for God, but are willing to sometimes sacrifice things that we may want or desire for the sake of those that have no idea who God is. That walk in here totally blind, totally unaware of all the things that that could happen that could go on here, and that they are just here, maybe even as spectators. Maybe that's you in here today. You are a spectator. You're not—you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never given him your life. You're just here because someone invited you. I think you're in one of the best places you could be this morning to be able to hear the word of God, and my hope is that you're convinced of that as well. However, you that are the Christian, you that are the follower of God, you that are on fire, my heart goes out to you that we could begin to align our hearts to be on mission for those that are in, that come to this place that don't know what you know, that have no idea who this Jesus that you adore and you love and you serve and you've committed your life to, um, that they would be able to do that too. If you're a casual attender or maybe here for the first time, uh, I hope that you get a clear picture of what we're all about here. And I hope that you um, understand how desperately we want you to belong here as well. Um, If you're on the fence about Jesus, or even if you are straight up opposed to everything that Jesus stands for, everything Christianity stands for, you can't even believe that you're in this room right now. Um, I pray that our dream for Sunday morning and what happens here every week breaks down some of those walls that you may have been you may have built up um, because of what you've experienced, um, maybe some things you've you've heard or have experienced from other Christians in churches. Um, I promise that pain and anguish in the Christian faith is not what God commissions us to do. So um, in my experience, most people don't have any issues with. Jesus. It's his followers sometimes that people have issues with. And my hope is that you can see through our depravity, our faults, and you can see the God who is perfect even through our faults. Um, That would be my dream for you. So, all right, Jesus freaks, better buckle up because here we go. Uh, last week, Pastor Barden fantastically launched um, us into our series explaining um, that we as followers of Jesus here at Living Word must be on the same page um, as our method for discipleship goes or else we run the risk, the dangerous risk of going in multiple directions. Um, and, and so when each ministry develops its own vision, strategy, core values, we end up disconnected. We become very disconnected. We can even end up becoming disproportionately attached to a specific ministry not to mess you up early this morning, not to, not to get you too upset early. I want you a, a good way to tell if this is you. If you've become a, a, a obsessively attached to something um, that maybe doesn't need that much attachment, I want you to, if, there, if you could fill in the blank with something in this sentence, you might be in a dangerous place this morning. If the leadership of Living Word were to shut down, insert favorite program, I would seriously consider leaving. If there's something here that you are so attached to that if it were to stop, that it would consider you would, then because then, methods may change, our hearts may change the way we do it. The vision and the mission will never change. Our hearts are for the lost, never stop. If that stops, leave, leave our church. If we ever have a different vision than reaching the lost and growing disciples, then get out of here because we've stopped being the church of Christ. However, if the methods of the way that we're going to do that change, that can be cool. That can be okay because we're trying to reach a different audience. We're trying to reach a different generation. We're trying to reach um, people that are in the world now who don't know what we know. And sometimes we can get pretty comfortable in church. Um, Maybe you've been a victim of someone like that. The simple truth is this. We are stronger together. There's a, there isn't one program or ministry that makes or breaks our effectiveness here. It's our unity and our foundational vision and mission that does that, which Pastor Barden spoke about last week. We accomplish more when we're united. There's a lot that a church can do in the name of Jesus, while a disconnected church is going to be far less effective. In its most destructive byproducts, check this out, listen to this, in its most destructive byproducts, we will, in a, people in a disconnected church will be demanding attention for specific ministries they serve or belong to and will look down on those that don't attend them as voraciously as they do. Sometimes that happens. Maybe you've been the victim of this as well. Maybe you've been accused of not taking your faith as seriously because you aren't a part of something that's, that's going on here, and for that, we apologize. Sometimes there's a subtle difference between someone experiencing growth and and enjoy sharing that experience with others and inviting others that don't belong into it. Because you've been, for some of us, you've, you've grown somewhere and your heart goes out to that and you want people to be invited into it. There's a difference between that and someone participating in a program and looking down on people who don't take it as seriously as we do. Believe me, I've fallen prey to that. So I'm speaking to you as someone who, when I was writing this, God was like, bro, don't feel like you're out of that. We're all part of the, it's so We're so easily susceptible to that. There is something that has driven God into our hearts. There's something even here at another church or something that you're involved in that you know has so helped you understand the gospel that you love it so much. And I would say that let that be something that sinks into your heart. And I think that sometimes we come dangerously close to loving that program a little bit more than we even love the God that the program is speaking about. Last week, Pastor Barton illustrated our three-phase strategy for discipleship. And we also talked about this at our business meeting, if you were there, if you're a member. But one of the big things that we're working out in our leadership discussions is how do we measure effectiveness? How, what kind of questions, because if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. So we wanted to ask, make sure we're asking the right question. So the answer we get is going to be something that's going to be helpful and bring us further into our mission of discovering how it is we are going to make disciples and grow those disciples in Christ. So... We have determined that we measure our effectiveness effectiveness by how many people are moving through their discipleship journey, not by how many people are participating in our church programs. So the idea is we're not looking necessarily for a lot of attendance in one thing. We're looking for people to be moving through a process that helps them discover their spiritual journey and grow in their relationship with Jesus. In other words, if this place Sunday morning was booming and there was, there was you know, if we went up to a thousand people, we get about 400, 500 people a week between both services. If we were to double that in a year and we had a thousand people, but there's no growth in our small groups, there's something messed up. Somehow there's a disconnect between what's happening here and how, and how people are growing. So people are meeting Jesus and discovering Jesus, that maybe we're effective in this place, but then no one's going and growing in Jesus through our small groups, and that would not be a good thing. And then maybe our serve, maybe, maybe our ministry teams are suffering because all these new people are coming, all these new families are coming, all these new kids are going into our children's programs and teenagers into our youth groups and, and other things like that, and, and yet we don't grow in our ministry teams, and those ministries start to kind of get bombarded and burned out. And so we're hoping that through this vision, we can begin to kind of help people move through a spiritual journey and help them participate in three main things, which is to love God, love others, and serve the world. That's our big, big vision. It's a subtle yet significant difference. And if we don't get this right, we could falsely believe we're doing great because attendance in all our programs are high, but not realize that there isn't actually growing spiritually. Uh, They're just attending a lot of things, but no one is helping them mature in the gospel. The question is, and ask yourself this question, are you becoming a more spiritually mature disciple or simply becoming more biblically smart? Are you experiencing authentic desire to sit under the teaching of God's word every week with your brothers and sisters in Christ here on Sunday mornings? Are you connecting with and being kept accountable by others for personal spiritual growth in small groups? And are you investing in the lives of others by giving your time, treasure, and talents on a ministry team? You see, we believe that all three of these things are crucial to the life of a growing, vibrant follower of Jesus. And it's our desire to, simple, to simplify our strategy in order to achieve our effectiveness. So our vision for living word isn't really rocket science. We didn't even really come up with it. Someone else came up with it and we totally stole it for, from them. But his name's Jesus, so it's okay. So our vision is his vision. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40 says this. This is everything we re- rely on to understand what we're going to accomplish. Teacher, the, one of his disciples says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your uh, mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend uh, on all all the law and the prophets. So our vision, if you don't know it, here it is. Our vision, transforming lives for eternity by helping people love God, love others, and serve the world. Transforming lives for eternity by helping people love God, love others, serve the world. That's it. That's what we're aiming to do. If anything gets in the way of that, we don't want to do it. If anything doesn't help us spearhead right into that, we don't want to do it. It's not that those things might not be great, but our focus is to help people love God, discover who He is. Who is this God of the universe? What's so great about Him? Why should I serve Him? Do I really need to know Him? Aren't there other gods around that I could serve and have the same effect? Can I go to heaven by other ways? There are lots of things about knowing and loving God that are very crucial for us here at Living Word, and we don't want to be distracted from that. We also know that God says to love others. In fact, I believe in that verse where it says the second is this, to love others as yourself, means that to the extent you love others is the extent to which your evidence shows how much you love God. That's a huge part of what this says. So there's two commandments in one commandment there, love God and love others. And then obviously to serve the world by helping them know Jesus. To put some meat on these bones, it's our vision that we create an environment where people can love God on Sunday mornings, love others through small groups and serve on a ministry team using their God-given gifts and talents. As a local body of believers, we celebrate our wins together. When we succeed, we want to celebrate together as a large body. We don't want each individual ministry to do something cool and then no one know about it. We want to celebrate publicly and and collectively, and we want to be the cheerleaders of each other, not not just just people in separate segmented parts of our church, but we want to know exactly what is God doing among our church and what is he doing that we could celebrate. We also mourn our losses together. If someone hurts, we all hurt. If someone's in danger, we all want to help. If someone's uh, in pain, we we want to help subside that. We want to be there for the people that belong to this church, and we also want to be there for our community who desperately needs to know who Jesus is. And we should also be working toward one single united mission together. Like I said, we are stronger together. Our vision um, is what we want to see happen with our eyes. Our mission, however, is what we're going to do. So our vision is what we want to see. Our mission is what we're going to do. And again, our mission, not rocket science. In fact, we totally ripped it off from Jesus again because he's a pretty smart guy, so we figure we're going to listen to him. So our mission is his mission. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says this. They, uh, then the 11 disciples uh, left for Galilee, going, on the, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all the authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I want you to see there's two parts to this thing. Lots of people focus on the go and make part, but there's another part that's after that that says, teach them, teach these new disciples how to obey. Sometimes we get that backwards. We go and we teach people how to obey so that they'll somehow become disciples. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, make the disciple. Help people fall in love with this Jesus that you serve. Show them who he is. Reveal to the world this loving, compassionate, amazing savior that you've that you've died to all your sins to, that you've committed your whole life to. Give, give the world a sense of who that is and then teach them how to serve him. We sometimes want to teach people how to serve and what to do and and all the rules that go along with Christianity before anybody even falls in love with the Savior. It can't get any more backwards than that. It cannot get any more backwards. So make disciples and teach them to obey. So here, this place, on Sunday morning, our vision is to make disciples. Our small groups, our vision, are to teach how to obey. That's, that's where it is. That's where you see it. Right here, we want to make disciples. We want this environment to be a place where the lost can come, hear, hear the gospel message, and have an encounter, an authentic encounter with God. And anything that we do, say, believe, think, any meta- mentalities we walk in with, perspectives, or, 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 or how we perceive things, if any of those things get in the way of that mission, can't happen. We have to shed those from our belief. We have to shed those from who we are so that the world can come into this place and hear the gospel and know the Jesus that we love and we serve. Believe me when I say we can be an active church without being a productive church. To bring it to a personal level, you can be an active member of this church without growing spiritually. You can come to everything we offer without ever truly maturing. Attendance does not equal discipleship. We, that is a core value for us. Attendance does not equal discipleship. We've seen it too many times where someone that belongs to a lot of things and comes to a lot of things comes up with something that shipwrecks their faith and there's something that happens in their life and then all of a sudden turmoil breaks loose. We see it all the time. So attendance does not equal discipleship. The goal is, how do we become so invested in each other's lives that when we do go through a difficult time, when we are dealing with sinful things in our life, when there's something that's going on at home or at work or in church or something that's contrary to the gospel message, how do we have relationships that are so powerful that we can speak into each other's lives and help each other grow in our relationship with Jesus? Jesus dealt with this too. In perfect Jesus style, he's, always, he's so good at, at dealing with these kind of issues. He uses parables to make his point. I want to check these out. There's three stories that Jesus uses to point us in the right direction, I think. Uh, they're all from Luke 15. It's basically the entire chapter. But Luke 15, 1 through 7, it's, it's the parable of the lost sheep, and it says this Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Stop right there. Don't even look at the screen. Look at me. Who came to listen to Jesus teach? Tax collectors, people that were stealing money from the community and notorious sinners, well-known people that sinned like crazy all the time, openly, didn't care who knew. They were notorious sinners, well-known, sinning, sinning, sinning. They came to visit and hear Jesus speak. That's really cool. That means that whatever Jesus was doing, whatever an environment Jesus was forming, it was, it was desirable to those that didn't belong yet. It was desirable to those that didn't belong yet. Really important thing for us to consider. It goes on to say this. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Ah, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Even eating with them. See, eating with people was a sign of friendship. And for, and for righteous to have friendships with sinners to the Pharisees, which isn't, This isn't a good perspective, was wrong. You are eating with these sinful people. ho! Oh, oh, watch out. Be careful. They're sinners. We can't, we can't mix up with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. He doesn't angrily carry it home like, you stupid sinner. Why'd you walk away? He joyfully carries it. I have found you. I love you. I found you. And he carries him home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The second story is about the parable of the lost coin. Jesus goes on to say, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house to search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The last story Jesus uses to illustrate this is more of a well known story the parable of the lost son. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus is just keeps, just keeps going. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. What he's literally saying to his dad is I know what I'm going to get when you die financially. So why don't you just give it to me now as if you're dead, you're dead to me. So give me my share because I just want to get out of here. That's these literally saying, dad, I wish you were dead. So I could just get the money that I'm going to get out of you. That's that's the situation that's going on here, just to give you an understanding. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he where there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and he, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, filled with love. Love and compassion. Filled with love and compassion. Not angry, not irritated, not you stupid kid. You embarrassed me in front of everybody. All our servants know what you did. You ran out with half my money. You you, you embarrassed me. How dare you do that? And you you think you're going to come back and have a place in my home? Nope. With love and compassion. With love and compassion, he ran to his son to embrace him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, What was going on? Your brother has, your brother is back, he, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of, this, of his safe return. The older brother was so angry, he wouldn't even go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And uh, when this... I lost my place. In all this time, you never came to me even with a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I want you to check this out. All three stories have some striking similarities. Each one, there's something lost. A sheep, a coin, and a son. In each one, there's a celebration once it's found. A celebration once it's found. In each one, there is is something not lost, which is 99 sheep, 9 coins, and another son. In each one, Jesus is using the lost to move the found towards spiritual maturity. These parables, I think, are, are named wrong. I don't think they should be the parable of the lost son. It should be the parable of the found son. Because it's, he's talking to Pharisees. In the beginning of the, of the whole chapter, it says that this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them the story. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Pharisees. All of these stories are not meant to bring hope to the hopeless, although the hopeless were there and they could hear it. But it was meant to drive maturity into those that had found hope, that knew God, but we're pretty much not really doing a good job of revealing it to others. So Jesus is rebuking the people claiming to be close to God for neglecting those far from him. He is pointing his little heavenly finger right at the hearts of the Pharisees, the very ones that are supposed to be all out for God and confronting their self-righteous attitude. I'd also like to point out that this was done in front of everyone. He didn't take, his, he didn't take them aside into a room, put his arms around them, and gently say, okay, guys, I really need you to chill out a little okay, uh, I'm really glad that you're so diligent about keeping all my rules and stuff, uh, but you're kind of missing the point here. Uh, I've come to make a way for sinners and find forgiveness and you're pretty much wrecking it. <laughs> so stop, because you're not helping me. He didn't do that. In front of everyone, in front of everyone, in front of the crowd of people that, there's, there's people that are far from God and there's people that were close to God. And he's, he's rebuking those that were close to God in front of the people, because Jesus is saying what they do, I don't do. He's trying to say that how they've treated you and how they can, their perspective and their, their, how they perceive things is not accurate. And I want you, I want you to know that G, as me, Jesus, that I'm a little bit different than that. He rebuked them in front of everyone. He wanted to be sure that those that had come to hear him knew that he didn't share the opinions or attitudes of the Pharisees. And this is huge for us. And it starts with us. I want to ask you a couple questions. If you knew that your unsaved neighbor was in this room right now, what would be the most important thing to you? If you knew that the person that you had been praying for and that God put on your heart, if you knew that they were in the room right now, what would be the most important thing to you? If you knew that that coworker that you've been praying for was here, what personal preferences would you set? Would you be willing to sacrifice if it meant that they'd grasp the gospel message and come to Christ? If you knew that your unsaved family member that you've been praying for so much, what would you be praying for while they're here? Would it be your favorite worship song would be on the worship set? Was it that the music was loud or soft? I don't think it would be those things. This happened to one of our very own. Her testimony is very convicting. And I want to show you um, her story uh, that I think she can share something with us.
1: coming to Living Word. I truly enjoy the services. I enjoy the worship music and being with my church family and being challenged to grow in my faith. I know that I can definitely get wrapped up with making church about me and what I'm particularly looking forward to. Maybe seeing a specific person or hoping to sing my favorite song. I remember my husband Steve whispering in my ear, that they were here. There they were. Friends I had been praying would have an encounter with God, the God I love so much. I was so excited I could hardly concentrate on the worship. Instead I was praying, speak to their hearts, Lord, and let them feel what we feel, Lord, and let them come back for more, Lord. I'm pretty sure if they weren't there, I probably would have been thinking about something trivial like, why didn't the worship band play my favorite song? But since these friends who I loved, were there. I was much more in tune to what was being said during this message. You see, my friend had lost her mother a few months earlier, and she and her family were really hurting. Her mom was gone, and they were lost. I knew how they felt, because I had felt the same way when my dad had passed away. I had drawn closer to God, and I knew that's what they needed. There are no human words that can heal what they were hurting from. Yes, there are hugs and good wishes like, I'll be praying for you and she's not in pain anymore. Or even, she's with the Lord now. But even those can't heal a broken heart or fill that empty void that you feel when you lose a loved one. That void can only be filled by one, the one who knows us best, God. My favorite name for him is Abba, which means daddy or papa. I cried out to Abba for comfort when my earthly father died and when my mother was diagnosed with cancer and many other times since. But I knew they needed to know that they had an Abba who would hear their cries and comfort them too. So I did what every good Facebooker would do. I sent her a private message. (laughs) Now I know that his personal spoken invitation is best, but it was late at night. So a phone call probably wouldn't have been the best idea. And I knew that if I didn't do it then, that I would forget. So I wrote to her. They didn't come right away, but there they were, sitting in a Sunday morning service. Wow. There are a lot of things that go through my mind on a Sunday morning. In my selfish moments, they revolve around my preferences or even whatever mood I'm in that day. But when my friend showed up, the very ones that God had put on my heart to pray for and invite all that selfishness seemed to vanish I wasn't worried about the song side or misspellings in the bulletin <laughs> how far away we may have had to park or even if we got our favorite seats instead I hoped that they were welcomed when they came in I hoped that they had felt moved by the message and most of all I simply wanted God to speak to their heart their hurting hearts. We sure can get our priorities messed up when we're here each week. That week revealed what our priorities as a church should be. I see church differently now. It's not about me and what I want to get out of it. It's about Jesus, his message, and the people that desperately need to hear it.
0: I think there's something that happens in our hearts when our perspective change, changes like that. Um, what Irene experienced, I think, was really important. Uh, there's three st- stances we need to unite on in order to accomplish our mission to help people love God here on Sunday morning. Number one, I want to I, I know if you would take these pledges with me. Maybe this would be something you can consider throughout the week. But ask yourself this, if this would be true for you. I will fight for the lost on Sunday morning instead of battle for my preferences. I will fight for the lost on Sunday morning instead of battle for my preferences. In this way, together, we will prioritize those that don't know God on Sunday morning. Number two, I will embrace those that are different than me instead of isolate myself from them. I will embrace those that are different than me instead of isolate myself from them. In this way, we will create an environment on Sunday morning to most accurately reveal the character of God. This would be even things like how we dress. We definitely appreciate people showing up with clothes on. We just don't care what those clothes are. Number three, I will expect membership to come with additional responsibilities, not perks. Let me repeat that. I will expect membership to come with additional responsibilities, not perks. The local listen to this, this, has, this, let this be burned into your brain. The local church is the only organization on the planet where its members exist for those that have yet to belong. The local church is the only organization on the planet where its members exist for those that have yet to belong. We don't exist for us. We don't exist for us. We exist for every person that has never walked through these doors yet. We have got to fight for that. We have to fight for that. We have to fight for them. There is no room in that battle for us to have our way, the way we want it, Every time we come, there has to be something bigger that draws us here. There has to be something bigger that keeps us here. And there has to be something wider that makes it why we're here in the first place. Has to be. Has to be. Or else, or else we're going to get exactly what we want. We'll be pleased. We'll like it. But we'll be all by ourselves. It'll just be us sitting around a campfire talking about the old days while everyone else is doing their thing, living their life, not a clue about who this Jesus is. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why this building was built, and that's what we're going to do. Our hope is that you'll join us. Our hope is that you will partner with us on that mission to help people who are far from God become near to him. People that are far from God become near to Him. As we sing this last song, I want you to consider what are the things in your life? What are the things in your preferences? What are the things that you might have to let go of to make room for those that don't have any idea who Jesus is and make that the priority here on Sunday morning? I want you to be open to God to refresh your heart with a fire for those that don't know Him. Take something that was shared this morning and let it push you a little. Let the words remind you of what we should be pursuing in the lives of every person that enters the doors every week, regardless of how long they've been coming, where they are in their spiritual journey, or whether they have even started a relationship with Jesus. Let's shout our praises to God and let him work on our hearts. Will you stand with me? We're just going to pray as we get into this song. Heavenly Father, as we begin to praise your name and worship you with this this last song, God, I pray that it reminds us of what we have. And God, it would remind us of what we are to share and what we are to give to others. That God, it is not supposed to be just us in this room. It is supposed to be a world that doesn't know you. Help us through these words. Help us understand how miraculous it was that you even found us. And that God, help our hearts be completely turned. If it's not on fire for the people that don't go here yet, help it to be transformed into that. In Jesus' name.